0: Greetings friends and uh welcome to the uh, Sunday sermon session, right? Stiff on my my name, addedsouls.com is the website. East Coast Church of Christ.com, the church website. We're going to be looking into the Gospel of John, chapter 8, and the witnessed and recorded account of the adulterous woman, verses 1 through 11. And thus far, we've seen a great many wonderful, uh, how should I say, wonderful information revealed in the Scriptures uh, pertaining to the Gospel of John in the ministry of our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. Please uh, consider subscribing to the channel, giving us a thumbs up, a comment, sharing the link far and wide if you find value. Uh, in the information that's being provided, that's being created, the material uh, uh, needs to reach far and wide so that individuals like uh, ourselves can, you know, gather together and get to learn about a man named Jesus and uh, what he was all about, the things he was doing. And thus far in the Gospel of John, we've seen some powerful information, haven't we, of Jesus his ministry his purpose his fulfillment of the things the prophets spoke and uh, we see the new birth being proclaimed the kingdom to come and repentance a necessary gem of our priority and responsibility in uh, the engagement of the gospel we see how jesus spoke his equality with the father that he is god on earth he is in equal value, and he is the prophesied coming Savior of the world. We've seen him defend that position very well. We've we've seen him speak of um, the coming sacrifice that is necessary, the death, burial, resurrection, witness, and ascension. We've seen him connect that to the burial, the new birth, born again how all who seek forgiveness and the peace love mercy and grace of our lord and master found through his tomb how can be how can we be raised with him to newness of life if we are not buried with him right that kind of wonderful information a uh, the uh, very specific location in which we must spiritually enter as legal citizens of his kingdom to which he is now crowned king all this wonderful stuff rightly handled scripture the gospel of john reveals also sadly and unfortunate through his own siblings his own people his own culture his own his own followers and disciples his entourage we see uh, turmoil at times and chaos and uncertainties divisions we see greatly the uh, jewish governing policy and enforcement of the sanhedrin <clears throat> which was made up of a body of three parties more so. You had the chief priest who were more concerned with temple things, and they were of a greater number the Sa- uh, Sadducees among them, if you will. You had the <clears throat> elders who were in cooperation with the chief priest. That was a uh, mostly Sadducees as well, and they operated in opposition towards the third party of the Sanhedrin, which was the uh, Pharisees. And uh, they didn't get along very well. They were in opposition with each other within the Sanhedrin, you know, the politics of it all, the right, the left, and everything in between. <clears throat> and uh, through that, they created ordinances, they enforced their traditions as law, uh, a lot of politics, sociopolitical things going on through the governing body of Judaism from the worldview of the Sanhedrin. And they didn't get along all that much until they had themselves a mutual enemy, Jesus. Why? Because Jesus was real. He was authentic. He was genuine. He was the prophesied coming king and savior of the world. He was the Son of God, and he could prove it, not only with the authority of his teaching, the knowledge of the scriptures he has, the confirmation of the miraculous power he could practice before all of them controlling the weather huh <laughs> casting out demons come on raising the dead making whole the lame curing the sick knowing the inner thoughts of men in such a depth that no one had witnessed for centuries he was indeed god among us on earth man fully experiencing humanity But yet God and uh, the Sanhedrin, well, they didn't want none of that because they had the control over the people's minds. They were the gatekeepers, the keyholders. The chief priests and the elders more so concerned with the temple. The Pharisees and the scribes, lawyers, more so at street level, controlling the synagogues. And again, while in great opposition within their governing body, they (laughs) became friends, quote-unquote, for the mutual enemy they sought to murder. Unlawful. It's just devastating how far these types wanted to go in order to remove a, a man who spoke of love and compassion, truth, And so you see that throughout the gospel as well, a um, growing hostility towards Jesus. And we see how they're always seeking to test him and to, um, oh, how should I say, uh, well, lie about him, slander him, seeking to murder him, Uh, They calling him a, a blasphemer and a liar and a thief and a deceiver and the devil himself right? All these things they are doing because they're losing control. They're losing control and self-righteous hypocrites, these diatrophic brutes, they, they're they fueled and find pleasure in their pride and control and greed. And when they can't maintain that, when they can't keep devoured in their bowels, the people, uh, they're going to get very uh, aggressive towards the source in which is causing them to lose their control over the minds of the people. And Jesus came to liberate them, liberate the people from the clutches of these self-righteous hypocrites. And uh, that caused for Jesus, of course, to become the source recipient of Harsh persecution among his own kind, his own people, his own culture, poignantly from the uh, potent source of the Sanhedrin, if you will. So we've been seeing all these things take place. And uh, it kind of categorizes itself in uh, very simply as Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. He came to give us eternal life a better way of life and peace, to be pleasing to him, our Lord and Master. It's very simple. doesn't need to be made complicated. The Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, sought to make things complicated regarding the law. Because if they made things complicated, you wouldn't understand it. And if you didn't understand it, you needed them to understand it. And if you need them to understand it, they have you. They control you. And sadly, we see that same element Today, within local assemblies, wolves in sheep's clothing, they creep in through the window, they take advantage of friendships, they make their way to preeminence, and they take control. And they destroy marriages, families, the church, friendships. The same uh, evil work sadly remains alive today in a great many. But Jesus came to liberate us from that corruption, that sinful corruption and behavior. We don't need gatekeepers. We don't need key holders. We don't need Pharisaical Sanhedrins in our local assemblies, do we? We just need good, faithful, humble servants, equal all the way around, in respect and honor of our various tasks. The evangelists, the elders, the deacons, the members, each one of us, equal to God. A family. No drama. No manipulation. No deceiving. No lying. People who are broken. People who are struggling with sin. People who are seeking to heal. People who need comfort. People who need to be ministered to. Absolutely. But toxic environments, toxic people, malignant narcissists who lived their lives gaslighting and projecting and causing problems like the self-righteous Pharisees of the day, no. And we are truly blessed to say that the East Coast Church of Christ over here in New Brunswick, Canada, is a loving church filled with peace and healing, understanding. We don't compromise our faith. The truth is the truth, and it set us free, and we will not deviate from that. We remain focused on the truth revealed regarding the plan of salvation, the uniqueness of the church, the way in which we must worship God in spirit and truth, church discipline, the boundaries of benevolence and fellowship, all the instructions that our Master has written. We follow eagerly, with great joy and discipline. And that is a beautiful thing. We struggle, we fall at times, but we pick each other back up because we're a family. And you have a part in that family. And we'd love to hear from you if you'd love to study with us. If you'd love to get together with us, contact us. You certainly can do that. We read in the Gospel of John, wonderful information. And here in this section, we see the Continued theme, that Jesus is real. He is the Christ, the Messiah. And he came to give life. He did not come to condemn. He came to save, to heal, to give hope. Give hope. You know how powerful hope can be? Hope will have you persevere through the most desperate and devastating sorrows you will face in this life. Whether it be betrayal by those closest to you, whether it be the loss of loved ones or persecution or growing oppression from the tyranny of corrupt governments and their politicians and policies. With hope, we have something to hold on to, and Christ is our hope. Hope. Christ came to bring hope while the Sanhedrin and all these religious believers were trying their best to destroy hope and to destroy Christ and his ministry to no avail because Jesus, God on earth, was in control. He was in control always. And we're going to see yet again in this section verses 1 through 11 of the adulterous woman that account remaining true. Christ finding individuals, he finds, com- he has compassion for them. He wants to heal them. While the pharisaical type, they're filled with hate. They're so blinded by their self-righteous indignation, their hypocrisy. They've got a log sticking out of their forehead. They are wolves in sheep's clothing. They, <clears throat> they're they clearly demonstrating and producing the fruits according to their own kind, which is corrupt. They don't see the love Christ has. They don't see the humble, the humble position and work that he is fulfilling. Let's read together, shall we? Chapter 8, the Gospel of John, verses 1 and following. But Jesus went to the Mount Olives. And I I personally take chapter 7, verse 53 along with chapter 8 verse 1 which would read everyone went to his home in regards to what was taking place in chapter 7 and but when Jesus went to the mount uh, but Jesus went to the mount of olives and then the account begins with the adulterous woman and as a bit of an excursion you should know academically there is debate among this the brothers <clears throat> in Christ uh, pertaining to this portion of scripture Um, there are schools of thought that would take the position that this portion of scripture is uninspired because of the location in manuscripts in which this portion of scripture was found. Some would take the position that this is not inspired. Others also saying that this portion of scripture may be inspired, but it's not located at the proper contextual location, if you will. Um... I am not as intellectually capable or scholarly positioned to uh, debate that in great length or anything. I, of a simple blue-collar mind, have done some research, and I've listened and read and sought some answers to that uh, from my limited capabilities uh, or faculties. I've come to accept that this portion of scripture is inspired and it's where it should be and that God's providence put this book together, the 66 books therein, to his will. And uh, we trust that because the evidence therein proves that. And this portion of scripture does not cause any breach in doctrine or um, any flaw, if you will, to the gospel. So... so A bit of an excursion there just to say that there is such a thing as these academic pursuits. Sadly, some brethren who are pharisaical will take their academic pursuits and bind law where no law was to be bound and all that kind of nonsense and cause divisions in the church because of it, um, which is sad. But they do it. They used to do it back then when Jesus walked this earth. They'll do it now. But um, yeah, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having academic pursuits or conversations, matters of scruple, opinion, conscience, judgment, things like that are fine if they are done honestly with the motive of a pure and humble heart. Okay, bit of an excursion to that end. Let's go back to the text to which, again, I firmly believe is inspired and put where it should be put. Early in the morning, he came again, Jesus came again to the temple. And remember, the temple was more so the priority of the chief priest and the elders And all the people were coming to him, naturally, because they were awed in how he taught and the things he did and the miraculous presence he had among them. And uh, Christ also recognizes the location in which religious individuals would be gathered. That's important. Christ is going to locations where individuals would self-identify as believers, religious believers of the the Abrahamic lineage. And Jesus went there to tell them they were lost, to tell them there needed to be a change in their minds to fulfill his ministry. And I find that quite revealing and also a challenge to our faith today in recognizing um, that, um, recognizing the crowds, if you will, and being able to discern our purpose to evangelize, and who to evangelize, and when to evangelize, and all that wonderful stuff. Okay, let's keep reading. So all the people were coming to Jesus, and he sat down and began to teach them. That's what he does, right? He teaches them, and he is the master teacher. His teaching, if you receive the nourishment of his teaching, and his words are spirit, you receive that wind, that doctrine, that teaching within your mind, and you accept it, and you activate faith, trust with action, belief, repentance, it will provide and cultivate peace, compassion, love, unity, forgiveness, all these wonderful things. And they're they're coming to him, and they, they, they want to hear his teaching. They want to see what he's all about. Some of them, of course, of superficial faith. Some of them, of course, sheerly for the entertainment and the drama. Oh, what's going to happen today? But some genuinely wanting to know what's going on, right? So in verse 3, the scribes and the Pharisees. Well, they brought a woman caught in adultery. And having set her in the center of the court they said to him to Jesus teacher this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act right verse 5 um, now the law now in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women what then do you say <laughs> it, it's sad really it, uh, it's sad that these men who should have been Religious leaders, servants, humble and um, willing to learn and willing to just have a moment of clarity and self-assessment and self-awareness. They lived in the age the Messiah walked this earth. They were given the opportunity to fellowship him and to submit to him and learn from him and follow him and love him and work with him, they, they were given such a beautiful opportunity. And they squandered it. They squandered it for their own pride and control and egotistical pathogens. And they want to snare him. They want to snare him. They want to test him. They want to murder him. They've been lying about him, slandering him, bearing false witness against him. Um, all these sinister plots and, and nefarious endeavors against him. And um, again, I find it interesting because here's Jesus. He's at the temple teaching. The temple was the priority within the minds of the chief priest and the elders who were mostly Sadducees. But yet here we find the scribes and the Pharisees who would more so be interested in controlling the synagogues in interaction with Jesus over here at the temple. And (laughs) They bring a woman caught in adultery. And it says in the very act. Really? So they bust into this house. And here's this naked woman. Engaged with a male. Who is not her husband. Or vice versa. And they pluck her out of there. And they drag her. Before everyone. And throw her before Jesus? Is that love? Do you really care for this woman's soul? Do you know this person is a human being? Yeah. Adultery is a serious sin. It will separate you from God and his love and mercy and grace. Adultery is a sin that... Destroys self and destroys families and children and employments and communities and households. Adultery is a big problem. Not only in that generation, but in ours. Is that how you're going to treat this woman? She is shamed. You're going to make a public display of that? Do you not care for her soul? Do you not care for her well-being? Do you not want her to... be well and heal? Uh, I mean, they didn't care about that all that much, did they? And these same kinds that have taken over congregations, they are the same way today. They don't care about your soul. (laughs) They just want to condemn you. They just want to use you. When you are no longer usable, you are disposable. If you cannot be controlled, you must be slandered and removed, murdered and lied about. I find that so sad. They should have seen the opportunity to do good, but they immediately, through their, uh, the log sticking out of their forehead, they, 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 they wanted to utilize this against Christ at all cost. And this poor woman, man, I feel so bad for her. And where's the man, by the way? These here are supposed to know the law. The Pharisees, scribes, were more so known as the legalists, the ones who would strictly abide legally to the law. Why aren't they being lawful? They're not being lawful. Where's the male? If she was caught In the very act of adultery, that means they busted down the door, if you will, and I'm using, of course, modern Western terminology here. They went into this location and found them in sexual intercourse, fornicating. The way they'd have presented it. So where's the male? There's a crime here for both. And where's the proper procedure for apprehension and fair trial. The Jews had law that they had constructed around their traditions that still held a sense of dignity within the integrity of a fair trial. Where's the fair trial? And where's the mail? They would also, in fair trial, have honored procedures. And the law would write on document the charge, the accusation, then go through trial and seeing defense and seeing opposition, seeing evidence, and then afterwards the sentencing, the judgment would be written on document. There was a, again, there was a legitimate Process to make sure it was an honorable and fair court that you would have trusted to come from these religious leaders, more so poignantly from the Pharisees and scribes who were known to be strict adherers of the law. This don't seem like that this doesn't seem like that's how it went down they brought this woman caught in adultery and having set her in the center of the court. And the very act they caught this woman, and they, they here you go, she's an adulteress. What are you going to do? The law of Moses says you have to stone her. They're trying to test him. You know why? I'll tell you why. <laughs> I'll tell you why. Well, I found out that the Jews, the governing body of government, right? The policies and the, their politicians of Judaism, the Sanhedrin, they did not have the privilege of practicing capital punishment. You know who did? The Romans. So they needed approval and certificate from the Roman government. The Roman governments were the ones to practice capital punishment. The Jews didn't have that right. They couldn't do that. Why? Well, we don't want to cause any problems in Rome. Why? Peace in Rome. Peace in Rome. So here they are, testing Jesus. Who are you going to follow? What are you going to do? Who are you going to choose? They, they did that, didn't they? We saw them do that also in Matthew chapter 19 regarding marriage. Who are you going to choose? you going to side with the Sadducees or the Pharisees or other schools of thought? Jesus is like, I'm not going to side with any of you. I'm going to side with my father from the very beginning, male, female, husband, wife. <laughs> so here they are again. They keep testing him with these things, right? You're going to pay your taxes? Remember that one? You're going to pay your taxes? Well, render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. What image do you see on that money? Is that the image of God or the image of a man? Well, the image of a man. So give to a man the image of a man. But give to God the image of God. What was created in the image of God? Human beings. Oh, you like that? Ain't that good? That's that's what I read in the Bible. That's so... Oh, man, I tell you. It's just wonderful information in the Bible when you read it. So, here they are again. What are you going to do? Huh? She's an adulteress. You have to stone her. That's what the law says. And we know the law. We're smart. You're not. What are you going to do? If you don't stone her... Oh, you're against Moses... But if you stone her, oh, you're against the Roman powers because they're the only ones that can practice capital punishment. We got them, don't we? <laughs> we got them this time. We can accuse them now. We'll have something to accuse them with. That's how they're thinking. That's how they're thinking. They're corrupt. They can't see that this poor woman is a human being that needs compassion. She needs forgiveness. She's an adulteress. That, that, that... That's still a problem here, by the way. But look at how this is happening. In the Gospel of Matthew, we see a man who was mute. Demon-possessed. Jesus, of course, shows mercy on the man. He heals the man. Casts out the demon. The man can now speak. (laughs) What do the Pharisees do? What do these religious people do? What does the Sanhedrin do? They seek to catch him, accuse him. They can't see the good that has happened. Jesus heals a man. Pick up your pallet and walk. A crippled man all his life. Oh, they want to, the the Sanhedrin, they want to accuse him of of violating their own laws and find him guilty of something. They can't even see the good he's doing. They can't see his ministry. They can't see it. They're blind. They got a log sticking out of their forehead. They're self-righteous hypocrites. They appreciate, all they want is the praise of men and the control of over them. So here they drag this poor woman. And again, where's the male? Their law says the male needs to be there too. They're violating everything. They're not even being lawful at all. And they're trying to trap Jesus in an unlawful decision? Oh, man. It's so familiar to me. Because in my limited experience, following Christ now faithfully since 2011, I've seen these kinds of people. I've seen them, the, you know, the gospel preachers, the evangelists, some of them elders, in the local assemblies. I've seen them, these people act the same way. And that's the wisdom and insight that you have once you've gone through a lot of sorrow in the church at the hands of these, of these types. Because you can read these verses now and be like, <laughs> I get it. I see what's going on very clearly. So, what are you going to do, Jesus, huh? Are you going to follow Moses? Are you going to follow the Roman law? Uh-oh, we got him this time, don't we? the baptism of John. Where does it come from? Right. Couldn't answer that one, could they? Cowards. They're cowards. And they act like cowards. They're bullies, but they're cowardly bullies. <laughs> Sad foolishness, foolishness to be there with Jesus and act that way against him, seeking to murder him as the people and culture who should have embraced him. So they were saying this, testing him. Yeah, they're testing him. All right. They're going to get him. Don't. Oh, oh yeah, I'm sure they're going to get him. Right, right, right. So they're saying this because they're testing him so that they might have grounds for accusing him. And you know that's the devil, right? That's a descriptive title of Satan. He's an accuser. He wants to accuse you and find you guilty. Let's find Jesus accused and guilty so that way we can hand him over to the Romans where capital punishment can take place. Sad. Sad how corrupt. And some are just... It's not that they don't have free will. It's not that they could not repent and become humble of heart It's that they are so stiff-necked and rebellious and snared in their own pride and control. They just never will. I've seen these people, their faces, their beady eyes, their bold lies. They're just they can never admit they're wrong at anything unless it's under their own control, verbalized in their own narrative. They're never, they have no, they have no. They're cold-hearted people. Cold-hearted. Again, I can't plug this in enough how loving it is with the East Coast Church of Christ. We have a beautiful thing here, a very strong foundation, a very peaceful foundation. We want to follow Jesus. We don't want to follow the Sanhedrin. (laughs) I'm telling you, you're missing out if you're not part of a church family that has the love of Jesus in there. We'd love to have you if you're over on the east coast of Canada. We'd love to have you. It's a good, humble location. So here's, here they are, the Sanhedrin, trying to test Jesus, right? So that they might find grounds to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. Hey, listen, again, there is great... Academic endeavor, scholarly enterprise, debates, commentaries, to and fro's within the realm of believers in regards to what possibly could have been written by Jesus. I tend to take the position, obviously, that we'll never truly fully know unless it is revealed to us in the heavenly realm. But I think it's probably that according to the fairness of a trial, he's writing down the accusation. And afterwards, he's going to write the judgment. That's what I think. Obviously, it's an opinion. I could be right or wrong. No love lost if you disagree with me. No need to make a line in the sand. Because that's what the Pharisees would do. And that's what they do today in local assemblies that they've taken control of. That's how they work. If you don't believe what I tell you in regards to my academic pursuits or my opinions, then you're damned. You're condemned. You, you, you know. And that and Jesus came to tell these people, you don't need... You can be freed. Jesus came to speak to the people that they could be freed from the Sanhedrin's grip. Just because the Sanhedrin condemns you doesn't mean you're condemned. The only power to send one to heaven or hell is God and no other. That doesn't mean we can't know to a certain degree who was lost and who was saved. But Jesus came to set us free from the bondage of these gatekeepers who condemn why do you think Jesus was saying that He didn't come to condemn? His purpose was to come and save. So uh, they're testing him, of course, and um, he he uh, stoops down and, and with his finger he wrote on the ground. But when they persisted in asking him, they're just gonna—they're not gonna stop pestering him. They think they've got something here. They think they've got something. We got him. We gotta keep at it. How annoying is that? How frustrating is that? We can learn much from our Lord and Master with patience and knowing how to control anger, knowing how to interact properly with these types without losing our self-control, because that's the temptation. Oh man, you just want to punch them in the nose, right? You just want to, you bad people. <laughs> You're supposed to be our leaders. We trusted you. We trusted you to tell us the truth and to guide us closer to God. We trusted you to be our pastors and reverends and priests and popes. (laughs) And you guys are filled with self-righteous hypocrisy and hate, right? So when they persisted, annoying Jesus in such a way, right? He straightened up and he said to them, now he's going to give law going to speak law. He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. So many wonderful things here to talk about. This is a a very good landing here. Okay, here's the crowd of individuals, the Pharisees, the scribes and Pharisees. That's the you. That's the you, that's the grammatical context and the nearest antecedent, what fits here, academically. But what's the spiritual nourishment taking place? Well, who here is the only one that can say has no sin? Who's the one who straightened up to speak law? Okay, that's pretty good, ain't it? That's that's, that's a gem. That's one of the gems here in this treasure box we've just arrived at. Jesus. He's the only one that can straighten up and boldly speak this law. He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Well, who can do that? Also, to recognize... And discern within this context, you and I, that's why I like the the more so expository delivery. That's why you and I, when we study this text in form with our sermon sessions, we go through it in this fashion. We learn more about Jesus. We learn more about what he went through and how he fulfilled this ministry and who his enemies were. And how he loved them, but he wouldn't take their nonsense either. He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. They didn't do anything lawful. Not even according to their traditions, let alone the law of Moses. They're not lawful. They're, They're liars, but yet they call Jesus a liar. They're deceivers, yet they call Jesus a deceiver. They're thieves, yet they call Jesus a thief. They are... Of their father, a murderer and a liar from the very beginning, yet they call Jesus the devil. Who among them has no sin? They know they've not gone through proper channels to have this woman stoned. It's a sham, it's corrupt, and they are corrupt. He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Friends, listen, we need a lot to learn here. In practical application to our lives, our faith. Who is Jesus more concerned about? The Sanhedrin, these scribes, these Pharisees, or this poor woman that's been drugged here before him for the purpose of trying to snare him into making a decision to either side with the Sanhedrin or the Roman government so that they can find accusation, find him guilty and have not punished, removed. Who is Jesus concerned about here? And who has the power to straighten up and stand and say, I have no sin? Jesus, and no other. Who are we going to side with? The Pharisee behind the pulpit? The tyrannical, diatrophic, self-righteous hypocrites? whose pride and control are only to devour and make subordinates, who don't care about your soul. They don't care about your soul. Man, these types have crept into a many local assemblies around the world that have a sign outside that says Church of Christ. It's deceiving. It's not no longer the Church of Christ. It's the Church of the name of whichever Pharisee is in control of that congregation now. Who are we concerned about? The human being? The soul? Who are we going to side with? The Sanhedrin or Jesus Christ? I want to side with Jesus. There's love there. There's peace again. There's hope. There was no hope for this poor woman in the hands of the Sanhedrin. Religious leaders... The people trusted them. They were loyal to them. They were devoured by them. Because they're smart and we're stupid. They know everything. We don't. We trust them. This poor woman in the hands of these people would have been stoned with a corrupt trial. And where's the male? Where's he? He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone to at her. And this needs to be said and understood. This verse here is often plucked out of context to further furnish delinquency, corrupt behavior, sinful practices. You know it. You've heard it quoted many times. Oh, you can't tell me I'm How are you to judge me? Don't tell me I'm wrong. Uh, 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 He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone. Slow your roll. That's not what Jesus is saying here at all. That's not to be utilized that way at all. Jesus is not saying you're permitted to go on sinning because of this verse. Not at all. And that is sadly a misguided worldview from a great many who claim Christianity. They go to this verse, out of its context, pluck it out, when someone lovingly approaches them to say, hey, listen, you know, what you're doing is sinful, and it's hurtful to you, and to God, and to us, and (gasps) who are you to judge me? He who is without sin among you, and they quote this verse as if it's somehow a verse that, you know, gets you out of jail. (laughs) It doesn't. And that's not what Jesus used it for. And we have to be genuine, honest students of the scriptures to recognize and respect the context and know that that verse is not to be used that way. And you heard me mention the other verse that's often plucked out of context. Judge ye not, right? People who are rebellious, who don't want to repent of their sins, who want to keep being evil, if you will, towards God or their fellow man, who want to continue practice false teachings and false doctrine and live a life of sinful activities, adultery, fornication, gossip, lying, murder, all of that, whatever you you know, whatever one, they'll they'll pluck out those verses out of context. Don't judge me and whoever has the you know, don't curse, cast the first stone and all that stuff. They'll use those verses. That that's not what Jesus says is saying here at all. That it's not to be used that way. Jesus is not giving a law, uh, speaking this uh, uh, in this uh, location for the purpose of you can go ahead and sin now, and nobody has the right to tell you you're wrong. That's not what's going on here. Bit of an excursion, but it needed to be said, okay? Back now within the text. He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, after saying that, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And I think that's where he wrote the law, the sentence to it. Like, they dragged this poor woman here. Now there's a courtroom taking place. There's a, we're at court. The, the, the Sanhedrin is, is doing so through corruption, which is not fair. And they're breaking all, all, all the legislative uh, 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 paths and, and uh, policies to their own law. It, they would create this law, bind this law, and they wouldn't even practice it themselves. Oh, it applies to you, but just not them. So Jesus, in my opinion, stoops down and he writes that law. Now when they heard it, in verse 9, they began to go out one by one. Beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone. He's the only one that has no sin. And it's interesting how, beginning with the older ones, you think perhaps the older ones had lived life long enough to recognize what Jesus just said there, and they kind of felt shamed and guilty. How do you answer that? Maybe they've had a a bit more time on this earth to know, okay, he got us. Let's just go away right now. How do you you answer that? And uh, he was left alone, it says, and the woman. Where she was in the center of the court. I find that interesting. I find that interesting. Here's Jesus and he's alone with this woman. Jesus' purpose is to seek and save that which is lost. can't tell that to the sanhedrin they think they're saved. can't tell them otherwise. ever have you ever tried telling a believer? Christian, that he or she is lost spiritually, they won't believe you. They won't believe you. They'll crucify you if you do. Ever tried telling believers they're lost? What do you think Jesus was doing? (laughs) Well, here he is with this woman. And that is, here's an important thing. I don't want you to miss this. Because while I, I, I was reading and studying this text, all the noise needed to be removed. The smoke, the smoke, the crowds here, the Sanhedrin, they're smoke. It's all smoke. They, they have a corrupt narrative. They, 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 they're, they're accusing Jesus of being a blasphemer, a liar, a thief, a this, a that. He's the devil. They're, they're creating ruckus. They're, they're uproaring the community. their subordinates. they loyalists to go against Jesus, to test him. They're They're causing a problem. They're smoke, smoke. So what does Jesus do? He gets rid of the smoke so that we can focus on the main point here, his love for this poor woman. Get rid of the smoke. What did Jesus do when he was brought to a house where the daughter of a respected individual to whom they thought was dead and she was. Remember when they got into that house? They brought Jesus there, and there's a bunch of paid mourners there. You know, they'd mourn. Ah, they, they, it's an act, but it's to create this lament of pain and sorrow. And Jesus is like, Listen, the girl's sleeping. She's not dead. And they all begin mocking him, you know. And then he puts, he's like, Get rid of, like, put him outside. Why? Because it's smoke. You can't see the picture clearly. And what is the picture? Jesus. His compassion, his love, his healing, his forgiveness towards people that are humble. the people get rid of the smoke. Get rid of the sanhedrin. We don't need these pharisaical types. We don't need these bullies, these brutes, these ego-driven, diatrophic, divisive individuals, these manipulators. We don't get rid of that get rid of that. You don't need to be slaves to these people. So now the smoke's gone. What's left? Jesus and this woman. Straightening up, verse 10 says, Jesus said to her, Woman, and that's an endearing word, by the way. He called his mother the same, the the same, the woman. It's an endearing term. It's not a, uh, you know, the way we, uh, uh, how should I say, the way we might use it negatively in the Western world, you know, hey, woman, go in the kitchen, bake me a pie or something. You woman. No, no, not at all. Uh, this here in their culture and in, in, in this uh, era and the way they spoke to each other its uh, endearing. Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? Friends, stick with me here. This is important. Where are they? Did no one condemn you? They don't have the power to condemn her. No government has the power to condemn you unless it is in righteous authority. They don't have the right to condemn her. No one has the right to condemn us, but God alone. So where are they? Did not one condemn you? (laughs) Who can condemn us? Who has the power and the key to send us to heaven or hell? Any government? Any human being on this earth? Jesus, God. And what was he more concerned about? Her soul. He could have easily chosen to side with the Pharisees. The Sanhedrin receive the praise of men. Lo- <laughs> grow greedy and grow uh, just like them, corrupt like they were. But he didn't. Friends, just because a Pharisee condemns you, doesn't mean you're condemned. But if Jesus says you're lost, you're lost. You're lost we are lost if Jesus says we are lost. Even if we thought we were Christians, we were believers that we were doing, even if we were firmly convinced that the church we're in is a good church and that what we believe is, is what the Bible teaches and even if we are firmly convinced within ourselves that we're saved, if Jesus says otherwise, it's otherwise. This poor woman was blessed to be in the presence of the Messiah and have been left there with him. Because with the Sanhedrin, she would have just been tossed aside and not cared for anyway. These would neglect the poor, unless it was for a photo op, right? Oh, look, we're giving to the poor a big show. They didn't care for the poor. They didn't care for those who were uh, the, the neglected. They, they, these religious leaders, they exist today still. And Jesus is still around saying, you don't need them. Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? You don't need to be scared. You don't need to be scared of them. They are intimidating. They are bullies. And they seek to condemn everyone that disagrees with them. They sought to use you against me. They have no power over you. No one can condemn you, except God alone. So she said, of course, no one, Lord. A respected term. I don't know if she knew him to be the Messiah, but it's respectable. And Jesus says to her, I do not condemn you either. Now, if the one who has the power to condemn is saying, I don't condemn you either, how foolish does that make the Sanhedrin look like? Go. And here, friends, pay attention. This is important. What does he tell her? From now on, sin no more. Stop being an adulterer. Stop fornicating. Stop lying. Because if you're an adulterer and fornicating, you're lying somewheres. Stop being afraid of these bullies. Go. From now on, sin no more. That's loving, isn't it? That's kind. Kind is being useful. And the focus, of course, always to the greater good of the kingdom. Friends, there's a lot to learn here. There's a lot to learn. We can learn from our master time and time again. He's in control. They tried to seize him many times. They tried to accuse him, find him guilty. They, they charge him and accuse him with all kinds of nonsense and things that are just not true. What is he focused on? The fulfillment of the gospel. His ministry to love people. He had the power to condemn this woman. He did not. But who stood condemned? The Pharisees and the scribes. It's the same today. It's the same thing in today's generation. And it'll be the same thing in a thousand years from now, if God allow it be. We can find hope. We can find love. We can find mercy with Jesus. He will forgive us of our sins, but we too must understand that when he says, "'From now on, sin no more,' we have to try our best to do that." Repentance, changing our thoughts, the new birth is where it all goes back to. At what moment you and I today, because in this here time, Jesus himself literally was walking among the people, and he had that power among them that day, to forgive sins, to heal. Now today, can Jesus forgive sins and heal? Well, of course he can. Through his word, we are governed through his words, the words of the Holy Spirit. Perhaps we are found in adultery. Perhaps we are found believing things that are not right. Perhaps we are found in a church that doesn't really belong to Jesus at all. Perhaps we are found devoured, subordinate loyalist to these self-righteous pharisaical types. Do we seek peace? Do we seek forgiveness and unity? We have to go to the tomb of the Christ to die with him. If we are to be born again, out of water, with him, in newness of life, we have to go to the tomb. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born again. Well, how can we born, be born again? We can't meritoriously earn anything, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. There's, nothing, there's no works we can boast about to God and say, you better save me. Look what I've done. So how does this work? Faith. Faith. Do we trust in Jesus? Yes, then He told us how to be saved. He told us how He will wash our sins away. He told us how we can go to His tomb, be buried with Him, and raised with Him. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. Romans 6, 1-2-3-4. Galatians 3, 26-27. Colossians 2, 12. 1 Peter 3, 21. Acts 2, 38. Mark 16:16. 16, 16. He's told us how we can become legal citizens of his kingdom to which he is now crowned king. It was birthed from the mind of God from the very beginning. It was prophesied by the prophets of old. It was promised by the Christ. It was purchased by his blood. It must be practiced by our faith. The repentant believer who confesses Christ as his Lord and Master qualifies to be immersed, plunged, dipped, submerged, buried, Clothed, baptizo, into Christ, where God himself, his power, adds you to his church, the location of the saved. This is Bible truth. We don't need the Sanhedrin to tell us what the Bible says. We don't need their interpretation. We don't need to tell them what it means. We can read it for ourselves. That's why I always tell everyone, don't listen to me. I may be wrong, but listen to what you can read in the Bible. We don't need gatekeepers. We don't need key holders. We don't need these pastors and reverends and priests and popes. Mom and dad can be wrong. Our neighbors can be wrong. Our coworkers and friends and family can be wrong. But the Bible's right. It's the words of the Holy Spirit. Don't tell me you're led by the Holy Spirit with a closed Bible. Look at this account and look at the love of Jesus. He has that for each and every one of us. Friends, it's available. You can be born again. But it has to be according to the Bible. If you're seeking a loving family to grow with, to study with, to find peace, hope, Friends, reach out to us, the East Coast Church of Christ.com. You can find us on Facebook. We have a Facebook page, East Coast Church of Christ. Matter of fact, this may be where you're seeing this video. Um, listen, we're not here to condemn you. We're not here to judge you. We won't lie to you. We will tell you the truth. But together, we open this book and we get to know Jesus. How will we ever follow a man we've never known? We have to get to know him. And how are we ever going to know him if we don't hear him we have to hear him and how do we hear him by opening the words he wrote the words of the holy spirit friends man i'm telling you i've tried every way in life i've tried the the world's way it ain't it the way of the christ is the way forward he will heal us i'm telling you all right, well, that concludes our sermon session. Stay focused and stay positive. Again, please consider following the page, subscribing to the channel, giving us a thumbs up, comment, sharing your thoughts, sharing the link far and wide. Maybe there's others like you and I who are, just want to learn and know about Jesus and know how we can be forgiven of our sins through him and know which church he built and which church we're supposed to be a member of and all that kind of good stuff. And with that, really quickly, the reason we are the East Coast Church of Christ is because we're on the East Coast geographically and because it's the church that belongs to Jesus. It's not my church. It's not any other member's church. It's the church that belongs to Jesus. We are autonomous. There is no earthly headquarters. We're not part of any denominational branch. We are pre-denominational we are disenfranchised with denominationalism and i'm not saying there aren't decent human beings in denominations who are morally upright and would give you the shirt off their back to help you i'm not saying that at all we just we we're not in fellowship or in connection anymore with organized denominationalism because there's so many false doctrines in there we just want to follow jesus and we call ourselves the church that belongs to Jesus, because we've recognized that we belong to Jesus. Now, are there many churches out there that call themselves the Churches of of Christ or the Church of Christ that are denominations or cults or crazy locations? Yeah, absolutely. But we shouldn't stop ourselves from belonging to Jesus because some churches hijack the name of Jesus and put it on a sign outside. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? So, if you'd simply like to belong to Jesus and a church that belongs to him, the East Coast Church of Christ, maybe the family that you're looking for, that you're seeking. Seek ye first, right? That kind of stuff. Uh, I appreciate you all a great deal. And, uh, yeah, Lord willing, we'll have another session tomorrow. Please check out the uh, uh, show notes to see each day and the themes of each day. Uh, You'll find me at rumble.com slash C as in Charlie slash Added Souls. You can subscribe to the channel there and uh, be with us throughout the week. I think that's it. Again, stay focused, stay positive. Peace out.